This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to The Real Real, where I take you behind the Instagram reel and into the real lives of entrepreneurs, content creators, and anyone who inspires me and may inspire you too. I'm your host, Natalie Barbu, and let's get into it. There's been studies that say you get the most out of therapy because of your connection with your therapist, that the therapeutic relationship is actually the most important predictor of therapeutic success. And so it doesn't really align that you can be a blank slate and build this relationship that's the most important thing in therapy without being yourself. If you think about who are the top names in the therapy field, you're always thinking of older white men. This is a field that is almost like Dominated, dominated by women. by women, and yet we are not written about, and we are not the head of it, even though we make up the majority of it. Right. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Real Real Podcast. Today and yesterday both have been days that I've been recording podcasts, and I am obviously obsessed with podcasting, but also. I have been talking for so long. I'm like, wow, okay, what's merging together? Like, what is, what's merging together? What have I already said? What order is this going up in? It's like my brain has to really think about the schedule of the podcast, what I've filled you in on, all of that stuff. But anyways, it is September, which is freaking crazy. What the heck? I think I talked about this in the last intro, but I just need to wrap my head around the fact that summer is over. Labor Day has passed. It's like fall pretty much. Like pumpkin spice is back, which I have not ordered one yet. I'm honestly not the biggest pumpkin fan. I think I want to be because it's so fun and festive. And growing up, I never had like fall traditions. And also growing up, like when I was a kid, I was in Florida, which is funny because I'm back there now. But in Florida, there's no fall. Fall is just extended summer. So there's no seasons. So I'm actually currently, as we speak, in Charlotte. I came back home. I really missed Bambino. So came back home. And also, side note, this is a huge podcast news update. We have received a few offers on the house. I don't want to say too much because obviously I don't want things to fall through. But just know that there have been multiple offers that have come through. And I'm very happy about that on the house that I'm selling. If you're new here, I'm, I've been renovating a house um, and we put it on the market and we have now received a few offers. And I keep saying we, people are probably confused by that. It's my house. My family just helped a ton in the renovation process, but it is my house. I just could not do it without their help in the sense of like their design direction, how to renovate a house, all of that good stuff. They have helped me so tremendously with that. So that that's why I keep saying we. But anyways, I, I feel like I'm all over the place in this intro. We got a few offers, which is super exciting. And you know what? I'm just going to start the segment then. High and low of the week. My high is that we got a few offers. 
my low, I would say, honestly, I don't have a low. I really don't. I'm going to leave it at that. That is just my high. I'm very, very happy about that. Um, And you guys are getting the exclusive podcast first news. No one else knows about this. I literally haven't even told my friends. So you guys are the first one to find out Um, just because I don't obviously want to like jinx anything, but I feel like I can tell you about just like some offers. I don't, I don't need to tell you all the details, but I can tell you about that. So very excited about that. And I love filling you guys in on the podcast and I don't know where I'm going with this intro. I'm so sorry, guys. I'm very scatterbrained. It's seven o'clock. I, I traveled today. I had the most stressful travel morning. Maybe we should talk about that. Okay. This is the, this is the intro that I'm all over the place and I do apologize. I'll get, I'll get back to every point that I've talked about, but I guess what I was saying about fall was that <laughs> I never had a fall except Florida. I'm happy I'm in North Carolina because I'm actually experiencing some sort of cooler weather. It's getting down to like the 60s at night. And I just got here this morning and I had a very stressful morning. That's how we'll, that's how we'll integrate everything. So for my morning, I had woken up at 7 a.m. because I needed to get cash because I have someone that I need to pay with cash coming to my apartment. She doesn't take cars, she doesn't take checks, she doesn't take Venmo, nothing. She takes cash. So I was like, okay, I don't have cash. I had like $20, 20 singles. Like I was like, that's all I had. And I needed to get $80 in cash. So I went to the ATM this morning and it kept saying unable to process my card, unable to process my card. And this is seven in the morning, which means the bank is closed. So I couldn't go inside. So I had called Wells Fargo and I was like, hi, it says unable to process my card. I really need this cash. I have a flight and I need to leave in like an hour. Like I had to go back to my apartment to drop off the cash and then get my bags and then call an Uber. I was like, why is my card not working? So they were like, oh, it's because it's blocked. So I was like, okay, can you unblock it? First of all, I don't know why it's blocked. That's very strange. But I was like, okay, unblock my card. So like, okay. So we unblock my card. Then I'm like, okay, let me try it again. Not working. And my debit card is expired because I never use my debit card, you guys. I only use my credit card. So it's expired. So I'm like, okay, great. How the heck am I going to get cash? The bank is closed. I, I can't go in. Like I, I, my debit card's expired. So they're like, okay, well, if you have a digital wallet, like you have an iPhone, we can just order you a new card and that new card will add to your digital wallet. So I was like, okay, great. So already like 30 minutes has passed because I had to like be on hold. I had to go on the phone with them. I had so many issues. And at the ATM, I was trying to use like my credit card to get money out, but it wouldn't let me. So it was just like a whole fiasco. So I was like, calling them again. I was like, like, okay, let's, let's add this to my digital wallet. So it, I added it to my digital wallet. I had Apple pay. So I'm scanning the card. I'm, I'm trying to use Apple pay at the ATM. And it says that this contactless reader doesn't work. And they have two ATMs at this bank. So I go to the other ATM, this contactless reader doesn't work. So I'm like, okay, F my life. I have a flight I need to get to, but I need to get this cash before I leave because I need to leave it here for this person. And so I am freaking out. So I'm like, okay, let me go to CVS and get cash back because you can do that with, with debit cards. Right. So I go to CVS and I just buy a pack of gum and I'm, I'm using my digital wallet. I'm using Apple pay with my debit card and it doesn't prompt the like get cash back. So I'm like, hello, why isn't this, where's the cash back? And the ladies, the cashier is like, oh, you can't get cash back on Apple pay. So I'm like, okay. All right. So I just went to the ATM and spent literally like 45 minutes at this stupid ATM I went to Publix after that to try to use that ATM and to see if that one would work. And that one didn't have Apple Pay. It didn't have like an Apple Pay reader. And then it wouldn't let me withdraw cash from my credit card. So then I went 
it's a CVS and that one didn't let me. So then I was like, okay, I guess I have to go to another Wells Fargo because maybe that one, that contactless reader will work. So we go to the other Wells Fargo. The contactless reader works. So Apple Pay works great, amazing. So I, I get all the way to like the very end, like confirmation of getting this cash out. And then it says unable to process. And this, mind you, like I've been doing this for an hour and my flight is at 10. Like I need to leave soon. And I live like 30 minutes away from the airport. So it's, and it's also like 8 a.m. So I was just thinking like rush hour traffic is not fun. So I'm at this second Wells Fargo and it's not letting me take it out. I'm literally trying like five different times. Like I, and then it texted me that there was suspicious activity on my account. So I had to hit, yes. I was like, okay, confirm. Like this is me. Like, let me get the cash out. I was like, maybe now that I've confirmed that it's me, they'll let me get my cash out. So I try and it still says unable to process my <laughs> withdrawal. So then I had to call Wells Fargo again because again, it's too early. The bank's open at nine. I'm there at like eight, eight fifteen. I call the lady. She has to like verify my identity in like a bunch of different ways. And then it finally works. But I'm not kidding. I went to one Wells Fargo. Then I went to CVS. Then I went to Publix. Then I had to drive across town. Not that far. Like 10 minutes away, go to the other Wells Fargo. I caught every single red light on the way. I was so freaking stressed. It didn't work a million times. I had to get on the phone with customer service for Wells Fargo like three separate times, which I will say customer service for them is really, really nice. And they're very quick to answer. Like I wasn't on that long of a hold time, but it was very stressful because my flight was leaving at 10. So then I could go home, drop off the cash, get my bags. And then I call my Uber and my Uber gets there at, um, what time did he get there at? He got there at like 8, 8.30. So he gets there at 8.30. There's a little bit of traffic and it's, there's so much traffic like outside my apartment. There's like construction going on. There's traffic, there's cars. And so it tells me I'm getting there at 9.20 and my flight leaves at 10. And usually like I, I get to my flight right before. I was talking about this on my Instagram story. Are you someone that like gets to your flight super early or do you get there just like an hour before? Because I usually just get there like 45 minutes to an hour before my flight. And that's totally fine, especially if I'm not checking a bag. Like I definitely am not in a rush because I have pre-check, but it was saying I was going to get there at like 9.20, 9.25. And I was just kind of freaking out. I was like, this would be my luck this morning that I would also miss my flight. But I ended up getting to the airport at 9.20. It got through pre-check very, very quickly. It got through security quickly and ended up waiting in a line for like 15 minutes to <laughs> order a Cuban coffee and some Cuban breakfast. And I ended up getting on my plane at like 9.42 or something. So like right before the doors closed and I ended up making it. And then today we got the offer on the house. So you know what? Today it's it's been a good day. It's only gotten better, I will say. It started out as like a fiasco chaotic morning and it has only gotten better. So I've been riding this high since making my flight getting here, getting those offers on the house. And now I'm chilling and now I'm working. I'm working a lot. I'm submitting another accelerator application. I'm doing emails. I'm doing podcasts, but I've been, I've been riding this high. So the chaotic intro today is very reflective in my chaotic morning. And it feels like today has been a week long, like from this morning, from being like literally like cursing away and being like, F my life, like like what is going on? Like, why is nothing working out? Why does my debit card not work? Like is, I literally cannot get money out of my account from that to being here today, like on the mic, it literally feels like it's been a week. So anyways, this intro was a little bit all over the place, but I want to give you the inside scoop. I want you, I want this to feel like you're listening to a friend's super long voice memo. Like, you know, those friends that always send you voice memos and they're updating you about their life. 
I want to be that friend. And that's what this intro is for. So today's guest is a very, very, very special one. And I am so excited to have them on the mic. It's another duo. I honestly love having duos on my podcast. I feel like the energy is just so much better. And I also wanted to say that speaking of who the guest is, I am just thankful that we live in a time when therapy is normalized and accepted because today's guests are the shrink chicks. And if you don't know who they are, you need to know who they are. And I'm going to get you on them. I'm going to get you on the shrink chicks podcast. So it wasn't that long ago, I feel like, and we talk about this in the podcast where there was a lot of shame and embarrassment surrounding therapy, surrounding getting help. And people like jump to conclusions really quickly about why someone would be seeing a therapist. And it's like, oh my God, unless you have like a very traumatic life, like you don't need to be seeing a therapist. Personally, I think therapy is amazing. I think it's one of those things that can really change your life and transform your life for the better. It can make you so much more just in tune with your emotions. It can improve relationships tremendously and it's something that you don't need to do when you're in a crisis you can do it year round it's kind of like just like preventative you know like we always talk about things that are preventative and I think therapy is one of those things and it's not just a one-time deal it's literally a form of self-care that I really think everyone deserves access to so I got very excited when the very famous shrink chicks agreed to be on the podcast so Emily and Jennifer are two relatable, hilarious licensed marriage and family therapists that are breaking the typical Freudian mold and bringing humanity to therapy. They also host one of my new favorite podcasts, which is Shrink Tricks. And if you haven't listened to it yet, do yourself a favor and queue up an episode after you listen to this one. I actually went on a recent binge. Whenever I discovered them, I literally binged so many episodes because, I mean, it's, I mean, first of all, they're therapists. So they're the way that they speak it's not like that traditional, like, so how are you feeling? Like they're very, very real and honest, but like they get you, you know, they're honest, they're raw, they're real. And like, that is what I love. So definitely queue up an episode after you listen to this one. But today's episode is a serious dose of real talk. And anyone who is considering therapy or looking for another perspective on what therapy can be, will learn some amazing tools and sorts of questions to ask and things to look for. So today you are definitely going to walk away from this conversation empowered and inspired as we dive into the internal and external burnout, how to find the best coping skills for yourself sorts of questions to ask in your very first therapy session, how to therapists deal with criticism and some tools that you can use to block out the negativity and ways to work on yourself and your relationships while growing a business. We touch on all of those topics on this episode and I know that you guys are going to absolutely love it and you are going to love Emily and Jennifer as much as I did and I can already tell you that. So anyways, if you do enjoy this podcast, definitely be sure to give it five stars and take a screenshot and post it on your Instagram story. Be sure to tag me, tag Jennifer, tag Emily, tag the shrink chicks. Uh, it would really mean a lot to us and give it five stars if you guys are enjoying it. But anyways, let's get into the episode. Let's talk about styling hair because it is a whole production, especially when you are battling frizz and take it from me. I live in Miami, Florida. It is about to be summer. I really know frizz, but honestly, I would rather be doing something else like booking a spontaneous vacation to St. Bart's or rewatching the Ares tour for like the third time, you know, the important stuff. But who actually has time for frizz? 
Introducing Way's new anti-frizz cream. It is like a superhero for your hair. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours. I actually brought it on a trip with me and my friend borrowed it and she purchased it right then and there because it was that good. So how does this fit into my hair routine? It is the best thing I could have done for my hair. I am all about saving time and the anti-frizz cream does just that. Plus the Sydney inspired North Bondi scent is so amazing. You can thank bergamot, Italian lemon violet and more. And as someone who is always concerned about heat damage because I definitely use a lot of heat on my hair, this anti-frizz cream provides heat protection, which is such a big relief. And my hair feels so much lighter and looks smoother after using it. Get busy being frizz free with Way's new anti-frizz cream. It's not just about taming frizz. It also provides heat protection up to 400 50 degrees, reduces and repairs split ends, quenches dry hair with intense hydration, and according to a consumer perception study, 90% of participants agreed that their hair looked less frizzy after using it. I can definitely contest that. And while you're at it, check out Way's other bestsellers like the leave-in conditioner, which I also use, detox shampoo, fragrances, hair oils, and hair gloss. They're all essential for achieving that salon-worthy look at home. So you can frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code RealReal for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code RealReal. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today as it should with Earnin. Earnin is an app that is changing the game when it comes to getting paid. Imagine having access to the money you've earned as you work, not just waiting for payday. With Earnin, you can access up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So think about it. The next time you're planning a special night out, you need a last minute gift for a loved one, or you face an unexpected expense, like maybe a trip to the vet, Earnin has you covered. For me, it's about having the flexibility to handle those surprise expenses that life throws my way. So whether it's unexpected bills or needing to cover rent when things are tight, Earnin gives me peace of mind knowing that I have access to my hard earned cash when I need it most. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type RealReal under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show, so please don't forget that step. Real Real under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Hi, Emily. Hi, Jen. Thank you for coming on my podcast. <laughs> Thank you for having us. On your podcast, Natalie. How are you today? I'm good. I'm so excited to be chatting with you. I mean, I was telling them off the record before the podcast started that I was just listening to your podcast and like, I am so into it. Like, I feel like I, I've listened to a ton, like a ton of other episodes in the past, but like, I was like on a roll this morning. I was like, I need to catch up. I need to listen. I need, <laughs> I feel like I need to like know what's going on in your lives. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like you like miss like two weeks of a podcast. And you're like, there's so much that has happened, right? Like, it's unbelievable. It's such a funny thing to like catch up. But that's the best thing about, you know, for you being back in New York right now, those long walks, man. Right, right. I mean, before, like I'm in Miami now. So whenever I'm in Miami, like I am in my car all the time. So yeah, I'll listen to like podcasts. But 
there's something about like walking and listening to a podcast mm-hmm. or like being on the subway and listening to a podcast. It's just, it's a lot better, I think, in my opinion. Because in the car, sometimes I like to like sing and yes. like, you know, listen to music. So I don't get as many podcasts Absolutely. And you can't sing. I mean, I guess you can, but like singing out loud on the subway, you know, would be <laughs> just a different experience. I, I mean, you I can do it. You but, could. That's right. for sure, You need the right? time to yeah. sing out loud in your car. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think anyone would bat an eye if I was like singing on the subway because you always have those like performers and stuff. But I just could never bring myself to do that. That was always one thing that I missed here because I had a roommate. I always walked. I you would take Ubers. So there is literally no time to sing. And (laughs) there's no time to like play music and sing because you have a roommate at home. You're always with people. You're never in your own space. So that's definitely one thing I actually like about being in Florida. Absolutely. You could just torture them if you have a bad voice. Like I have a terrible voice, like a singing voice. And I just oh, me too. torture other yeah. people with it just because, you know, I enjoy singing. Yeah, I, I don't have a good voice at all, but I love singing in the car. Right. Like that is like my the favorite best. thing. Like I'll literally go on drives, just like listen to music and like sing out loud in my car. Absolutely. <laughs> so therapeutic. It is. It really is. But we're going to get started with setting the record straight. So this is some stereotypes, some assumptions, and then you'll let me know if they're true or false. So the first one is that everyone could use a therapist. True. True. (laughs) Yeah, I I figured. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that also like nowadays, more people are becoming like comfortable sharing that they have a therapist. And I think because everyone talks about how amazing it is to have a therapist, Mm -hmm. it's one of those things that's like, oh, Maybe I should try it. Like, even if yep. that that's never, like, sparked in their head before. Absolutely. I think the asterisk on it is you might not need a therapist every single week for the rest of your life. But there is times where we go to therapy for a few months or go to therapy for a few years and then take a break, right? Like, it's really good to keep it in mind as something that could possibly be in your, like, coping skills and support toolbox to, you know, come out when you need it. Mm-hmm. I think so often you know, people talk about it as, oh, I don't need a therapist. Like technically, yeah, you don't need a therapist. You could still function. No one needs a massage, but like it could be helpful, right? Yeah. yeah, So that's why we say it's so incredibly helpful to have someone that you connect with and feel like you can talk to about all of the things that are going on in your head. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I feel like now they're just more accessible. Like you can find them I mean, even like telehealth, you know, you can do it online. Like it's just, it's so much easier to find one. And there's like so many more affordable options now. So it's one of those things that's like, there's really a lot of people now have more access to it than ever before, which I think is awesome. Absolutely. And COVID really just sparked a ton of that, right? So it was already going in that way. And then the pandemic put it on hyperdrive to go more towards that accessible telehealth route. And I think that that is amazing for our field. I'm a huge fan of how much more accessible it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the next one is that therapists also need therapy. True. True. That one is yeah. <laughs> actually a need, right? So when we went to grad school, a lot of our grad school work was doing our own therapeutic work because it's so important that therapists do their own work so that they don't bring it into the room with their clients. And so it's so important that we continue to do our own work so that we're able to separate ourselves out and give our clients the best care that they're looking for. So I would say, yes, it's such a huge part of the work that we do is having our own personal therapy. We say to people that we can only take our clients as deep as we've gone ourselves. 
And so if we aren't mm-hmm. doing the work, I can't actually go really deep with you and do the work with you. Yeah, that's such a good point, you know, because I think a lot of times people view therapists as like they have everything together, like their lives are oh, perfect. Goodness. <laughs> and yeah, I'm sure that that's did. not the case. <laughs> the next one is that the Internet can be very damaging. Yes. Yes. Anything can be, right? Like, you know, there's, of course, a million ways that the internet and social media has been really helpful. And there has been a lot of ways it's been incredibly harmful. But we could say the same thing for family members, alcohol, food, any of these different things in our life. It's about how we use it and how we function within it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I'm sure that you see a lot of it now, like with the age of social media, like people coming in specifically to talk about like things that they've seen or things that have hurt them on the internet you know especially like being an internet person like I have a podcast I have a YouTube channel my life is on the internet I feel like there's so many issues that I have because of it like even though it brings me a lot of joy it's my job I love it there's still so many things that I'm like if I wasn't on this like I don't think I would have this like the anxiety about x y and z that I have like if I wasn't on the internet because it it, it, people's words hurt you know even if they are strangers yeah sometimes we'll get negative messages and we just spiral together. We're just spiraling. <laughs> you know, we're able to pull ourselves out of it because we have the tools, but it's it is really hard because there's a level of vulnerability that you put out there on social media and it can be really hurtful, you know, to receive some of those negative comments and I think another piece of it too is that it's so easy to compare yourself to other people on social media. And you're comparing yourself to other people's highlight reels, right? So, mm-hmm. of course, like my life is not going to look like anyone else's on social media because people are only posting the things that they want you to see. And so as I'm processing that with myself internally, I'm like, well, why doesn't my, why aren't I going on these trips to Tulum? You know, like, why am I sitting at home with my cat and <laughs> staring at the TV for hours? You know, like that it's so easy to compare yourself um, and be hard on yourself for those things. So. But it's something important to remember that you are comparing yourself to other people's highlight reels. And I think there's Mm -hmm. this other part, too, about like when you're a content creator, like one of the things we see is also how the algorithm makes it that you have to create all the time. Right. So like this thing that's very normal in absolutely any profession to take a break, to relax. When you are doing so much of your profession on the Internet, that's really hard because, as you know, like with those algorithms, if you're not creating all the time, you get bumped back. You're not coming up on people's yeah. timelines anymore, right? So and much pressure. There's so much pressure, right? So when we talk about this idea of like how to rest and how to take self-care, that sometimes can be really difficult when your job is about pushing out information on the internet and keeping up with everything. It makes it really easy to fall into that hustle and grind culture, which maybe you're trying to get out of, but you have to figure out some way to work within it because you're dealing with these algorithms that you don't have control over. Yeah, it's not like you can take PTO. Like, it's not like, okay, let me take time off. Like, I'm going on vacation and I'm just going to take time off. Like, vacation is honestly probably one of the best times to create content. So it's like you feel even more pressure than to create content while you're trying to take a break. And then you're like constantly scrolling or like making sure that it's like the perfect lighting or doing like outfit changes to get like the right shot. And it's then not even a vacation anymore at that point. It just like looks like it on social media. It's like you can't take any time off if that is your job. And then, like you said, with the algorithm, if you stop posting, 
then when you come back from your vacation, you're, you have like so much more work to do because you're behind. Yeah. Like- yeah. You better get back. Right. So like, you know, we talk about this thing is like, we always say to people when you take your vacation, right. To come back in slow, take a day off. No, when you're putting stuff on the internet like this, you have to come back and all of a sudden you got to put all of this content out. I don't know as much about how YouTube's algorithm and stuff works, but like a big part is the way they have this designed is for you to not be able to take a break. And there's nothing you can do with that. It's working within a system. It's how we talk about internal and external burnout. Mm. And, you know, it's like it's it's almost like keeping up with the Joneses on social media. You can also Mm -hmm. see everyone else's numbers. Right. You could see your numbers. You compare it to. So there's a comparing within. It's very meta. Right. Like you're comparing your own social media accounts, too. Right. If that's what's bringing you an income or if that's supporting your business, it's so easy to compare to other people. And typically our minds choose to compare to people we see as larger than us or better than us in some way. We never are saying like, oh, I'm going to compare myself to people we see as, you know, having smaller numbers than me. And so it's it's a setup to put more pressure on ourselves over and over and over again. And it's it, it can really wear you down without that recognition. Yeah, that's why I love podcasts that you like can't see the listeners because I'm I'm like, I don't want to see what other <laughs> podcasts are getting yes. like I'm, I'm fine like don't don't ever show that please I'm like, like I get it I'm not Dak Shepard right like like I can sort of have an idea of where I am but like the only thing you have is really those um the iTunes charts you know for the most part we don't know and you can just create and and it feels like it's on your schedule like I definitely think it feels like you have a lot more control and you can create something that just feels like really aligned with you totally yeah and I'm curious, how did you two meet? So yeah, I'm, I want to know okay. the story of like how you two came together. <laughs> this is our favorite story. <laughs> so Jen and I met our first year of grad school is about um, a decade ago now, right? Um, over 10 years ago. And I walked up to Jen. Uh, we have very, very different personalities. Jen is incredibly introverted. She does not need social contact. I was going into grad school being like, listen, I'm just going to put my head down, get through, I'll become a therapist. It'll be great. And I was like, no, 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 I am a barnacle. I need to leech onto something. I'm going to need like some type of boat or some type of anchor. That's how I work. And I so was that boat. <laughs> I walked up to her at orientation and I was like, you're going to be my best friend. Like, it's like an actual like, right. thing I said. And, <laughs> and we went through, we went and got our um, master's in um, couples and family therapy. And then we both did a specialization in sex therapy from Thomas Jefferson in Philadelphia. Um, nice how, shout out for nice, them. Yes, yes. They're welcome. Um, <laughs> and we went through two years of grad school and we started to get towards the end of grad school. And we started to figure out, like, here's what your options sort of are. You can go work for an agency. You can work for a hospital. You can join another group practice. You can drop out of the field altogether. Which is what many people do. (laughs) And we're sitting there trying to figure out, like, what the next step is. We went to this. um, It was like a business day. And we're sitting, and this girl stands up and basically talks about how miserable she is at her job at an inpatient center. And I wrote, we should try to find this note. I wrote a note, and I passed it to her in the middle of this thing. And I said, do you want to start a, a practice with me? Do you want to start a private practice? That's the only together? way we communicated so, oh, at the yes. time through passing notes yes. to each other. <laughs> and she looked at me, nodded her head. And that was now eight years ago. And we developed, it was what was the Westchester Therapy Group. It is now the therapy group in many, many other states besides just Pennsylvania. Um, and from that, we've had, you know, now we have 20 plus amazing clinicians with us. Unbelievable therapists. We have gotten to grow. 
we have been able to increase our social media presence and a podcast who the podcasting, which has been a big part of our networking, has also helped to grow what the therapy group is, the main business. That's amazing. Yeah. And one of the reasons we wanted to start our own practice is to really build a practice that's based in um, values that we really hold true is the sense that when you're going into therapy, you know, your training is important, but we think the most important thing is your connection with your therapist, that you could mm-hmm. have the most training in the world. But if if you can't connect with your therapist, you're not going to trust them. You're not going to be able to open up to them. Emily and I both have had negative experiences in therapy ourselves. And so we wanted to build a practice with clinicians that are really down to earth, people who feel like real human beings, that you're not hitting this clinical wall when you're going to therapy. So all of our clinicians also hold those values. And when we were in grad school, we were told we had to neuter ourselves as therapists. They said, you know, don't wear anything too crazy. Don't dye your hair. We very much disagreed with that. (laughs) And also literally just couldn't follow those rules. It was more about like this was not possible to one of the things that happened was like we can't work for someone else. So like a big part of it, which I think is that like we took some spite from these shitty experiences with other therapists and we're like, I can do that better. Spite is very motivating. (laughs) Spite is very motivating. And then we were in this situation like where we're doing our internship, where we were first working, that we were like, we can't follow these rules. I can't sit here and not dye my hair and not wear what I want to wear and like not have my big gold jewelry and my top knots. Like it wasn't going to happen. So we had to create something else. I'm so shocked that that's like a like what they tell you. I like you said, like I feel like you want to have a connection with your therapist. And like I don't want to connect to something so like plain that it's like there's no personality. Cause then it I mean, obviously if you don't want to dress like that, then don't dress like that. But that's because that's you, not mm-hmm. because that's not you. You know, so I don't know. I think that that's such a weird thing that they they're saying you know in some ways we're a field that's very far behind right like there's people that are still using that initial work of freud and one of the things that's happening is that psychology is currently going through a replication crisis where a lot of the studies that have come out in the 50s and 60s they actually don't apply as much anymore life is simply different now and sometimes when they're doing these trainings the other thing is if you think about who are the top names in the therapy field you're always thinking of older white men this is a field that is almost like dominated, dominated by, women. by women. And yet we are not written about and we are not the head of it, even though we make up the majority of it. Right. And that goes to like the power and privilege within genders that because men have seen this way, they came in. We, we were, they said, don't wear dresses. Right. Right. <laughs> well, there and, and in the old world of psychotherapy, there was the psychoanalytic theory, right, that was, you know, Freud really just spearheaded. And in that theory, you're supposed to be a completely blank slate. Right. And so if you're a blank slate and the client's reacting to you, it's about them and you can analyze, you know, like what's happening with them. But there's been studies that say you get the most out of therapy because of your connection with your therapist, that the therapeutic relationship is actually the most important predictor of therapeutic success. And so it doesn't really align that you can be a blank slate and build this relationship that's the most important thing in therapy without being yourself. It just doesn't Mm -hmm. doesn't really connect and didn't connect for us. And so that's why we created our business, our brand, our podcast, 
it, it was very much going up against this kind of old world way of doing therapy. Yeah. Did you face a lot of backlash doing that, like within your peers? Like, why are you starting a podcast? Why are you doing social media for therapy? Because I feel like you're one of the only ones really that is big and in, like the, into social and you market it really well. So I'm like curious if you face that backlash. I wouldn't say as much from our peers as much as from the generation above us, like the mentors, right? Like we got a ton of comments from some of our mentors. Like you and, shouldn't do it that way or mm-hmm. you should do it this be, way. Really, you should really be careful, girls. That's what we heard all the time. Oh, girls, be careful. Be careful what you're doing. Look at it. You know, there, so there was a lot of like distrust in what we were doing, which is like what anyone was doing in our generation. It was a very normal thing. And now, you know, this is something that we started, right, dude, 10 years ago. There are so many therapists that are on social media now and are doing the same thing that we're doing. And why not make this accessible? Why not teach people how to do this? One of the things that there's always been in our field is also gatekeeping of mental health, where we make people pay for it or we don't provide. Like, that is, first of all, a very masculine trait, right? Like, what we're talking about is a big thing that happened within the 90s and the early 2000s of, like, work here's how to do it like a man, as opposed to maybe mm-hmm. men should think a little bit more about how to do it as a woman. How do we access this feminine side? You can also be boundaried and kind. You can also be assertive and lovely, right? Like these, these things can all go together. And it is a weird thing to have people that you feel like are your mentors and you feel like are these wonderful people in the field really judge you for your behavior. But I think that that's a generational thing. Yeah. I do think it is generational too, because now it is more like every single brand needs to have a social media presence, you know, like doesn't matter what you are, like you need to be on Instagram. Like it's as important, if not more important than having like a website, I think. Absolutely. So it's one of those things that you have to be on it. When you started the therapy group, was that your intention to be you know, accessible for everyone in terms of like putting it on social, making your podcast so other people can listen? Or did that kind of come along as you started the therapy group? Or was that like your initial thought? Uh, all we knew is we wanted to get the hell out of what we were doing. We had no game plan. We had no, and we, we, <laughs> we talked no about this. Plan. <laughs> we talk about this all the time that we're like, we really didn't plan for any of this. We are very, we are very good at living in the moment, I would say, right? Like mm-hmm. we're very good at seeing how things are rolling. And we totally understand that there's a benefit to setting out a business plan and having these like 10 we year wish goals. We, did it. we wish we did it, but we didn't. We kind of just saw that it was working. We saw that what we were doing was working and the way that we were presenting ourselves was working and people were really connecting with it. About two years ago, Emily came to me and said, I really think we should start a podcast. And I was like, I would rather die. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like the introvert in you saying that? And then three drinks later, she was like, oh, fine, which is how most which, of our business plans happen. Right. She just gets to, me a little drunk. That I have to drag Jen <laughs> into this because she's so, she really takes, she does a ton of internal processing. It really takes her a lot longer. But I don't think necessarily is planned, but I think that we're very good at saying yes. And we really try to be incredibly open and try a lot of different things as opposed to be very rigid in our beliefs and our thought process. Because that's one of the things we model for our clients. If we're talking to our clients about being open and being flexible and being adaptable, but we're completely rigid, that didn't seem like it would bring a lot of growth. Right. So we try to be open to 
any and everything. And we've had so many failures. I mean, we have, we have fucked up. That's, that's exactly what I was going to say is that we're, we're really good at making mistakes too and being okay with making mistakes, knowing that it's part of the process, us making mistakes mm-hmm. as we go along and that learning from those mistakes is the most important thing. Like we're kind of just like throwing shit up against a wall and seeing what sticks. And if certain things stick, we run with it. Like our podcast, apparently it's stuck, which is, you know, you never thought I'm, that would never happen. Never thought that would happen. <laughs> but um, you probably would not have agreed to this if no. you knew two years later. You know, you know what to, you know how to get me in, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> I'm like, well, just try it for a few episodes. It won't go anywhere. Two years later. <laughs> but I also think that that's like a great quality to have is like just trying something new. And I was actually listening to your podcast about quitting and how you guys were like, oh, when I was younger, I was able to, you know, I would quit something every two weeks or I would your parents weren't like pushing you to stay in something just because you started it. And that's exactly how I grew up. My parents never forced me to stay in anything that I didn't want to stay in. And sometimes I'm looking back and I'm like, oh, you guys should have like made me stay in like this in sports because I literally never played a sport growing up. And I'm like, I'm now like so unathletic. <laughs> it's because you didn't force me to, <laughs> to stick to it. But then I'm also like, wait, I think it's also a great quality because if I, if something's not working for me, if I like don't find joy in something, if I don't like something anymore, I'm not afraid to be like, okay, I tried it. Okay. I'm glad I tried it moving on. Yep. But I think some people stay in things just because they have this mentality that like they're going to be a quitter. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's not right either. So I love that you Absolutely. mentioned that. It also, it also, it teaches you to listen to yourself from an early age. Right. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, there's something to be said about, you know, sticking with something and seeing how it goes, but, but for you to be able to say like, this really isn't working for me. And for someone to validate that and say, okay, well, let's try something else reinforces your ability to listen to yourself and say, this isn't, this really isn't working for me. Yeah, no, completely. And what are some of like your failures then that you've had? Do you mind sharing yeah, some of so like many. the big so many. failures that like things that, the thing that you threw that didn't yeah, our entire <laughs> business model for the first four years? <laughs> what did you say? Yes. Yeah, it was so bad. Like, So like when we first started, right, like we just said yes to absolutely anything because we were just like trying to figure this out, right? Like we're like, we know we want to do this. We really don't know what to do. So we said yes to a lot of stuff that really probably didn't align with us. But at the time we were just trying out anything. Looking back now, we probably would have been a little bit more selective and we would have spent more time, you know, really working within the two of us to figure out like, what is our mission? What is our goals? As opposed to just be like so completely general. So one of the big things we did at the beginning was just say yes to too much. Our fees were set way too low way at the beginning. Way too low. Um, because once again, there was like this fear of like, we're doing this different. We're younger in the field. We're women, right? Like, so we definitely underestimated ourselves and set our fees way too low, which was then harder to come up from and brought in a bit of a scarcity mindset where I think we did have to overwork ourselves to financially make up for um, undervaluing ourselves. Yeah. Um, what other ones can you think of? I can think of so, <laughs> so many. Well, when when we started to bring on our clinicians, you know, we were trying to figure out that business model. That took us a little bit of time. We didn't go to business school. We didn't go to business school. We didn't Once know what, again. We didn't we're know ten ninety nine versus W two right. versus we don't know like shit about that. Yeah. Right, but we're we yeah. are figuring it out as we go along. I think something too, Emily. It's something we're similar in is we're both kind of stubborn. I would say, like within not within each other, not no. within our own dynamic, but like if anyone else tells us 
oh, you should change this about the business or you should do something else. We're like, no, we're going to figure it out ourselves. <laughs> right. And then we're, we're making the same mistake over and over again. Like, I think both of our husbands at the time were like, what are you guys doing? You need to change this business model. And we were like, shut up. We'll figure <laughs> this out. You know what I mean? Like, like, we're independent women. We can figure this out. But like, in the end, they were right. And but we don't like to say that. Yeah. So like that was, I think, something we struggled with. Yeah, we didn't outsource and we did everything beginning. We made our own website. We did all of our own copywriting. We made every freaking brochure. That might have been like, OK. That, brochures. They were that was a huge no one that was a big, about brochures. No one cares. That was a big waste of money. <laughs> hey, man, it was 2014. We were, we were in a basement with those cave crickets. You're not gonna with those. Do you know oh. what this is? Like like these jumping crickets. They they're like crickets that look we like just, spiders. They're, we were only paying a hundred and is that like where your location was? Like it was where your in a crap was? basement. We were paying hundred and eighty three dollars a month for rent. It was there was no air conditioning. It was, it was bad, <laughs> but it was like what we could afford, right? So it was like how can we make this work? So we think there was a lot of things that. It would have been helpful. You know, it worked out financially because we never took out loans. We never did anything to start the business. So we didn't outsource anything. Looking back now, it maybe would have been helpful to outsource some of it to give us a little bit more time to. Well, we're finally outsourcing, which is helpful, right? But yes, once now again, we we're do. both, we, you know, our, the business is like our baby and it's like we've had this baby together. Yeah, and and so it's hard for us to to relinquish control in that and to say, OK, yeah, we could use some help here or we could, but we're recognizing as the business grows even more that we do need to start trusting people outside of the two of us and bring people in. And because people are willing to help us, I think one, another quality that we, we both share is we like to be very independent and do things on our own. And so asking people for help is very challenging for us, even though mm -hmm. we're constantly preaching that to our clients. <laughs> And so right. we're starting to learn that once again, this is, it's not just about growing the business. There's a lot of internal growth that is happening between the two of us in our relationship and ourselves personally, as we grow the business, as we get older, as we understand ourselves. Um, and so the two are very much aligning. So we continue to do work on ourselves as we grow the business so that it doesn't come and interfere in, you know, what we're doing or in our relationship. Yeah. And would you say then that after those like four years of kind of figuring out the business models when you started to grow and like expand because yeah. you you're in different states now, you know, it's it's a full fledged business, not in the basement of <laughs> any building. So is that kind of when you started to grow? I would say it took us four years. Yeah, I would yeah. say it took a solid four years to us to really get our feet on the ground and really figure it out. And yeah, like if we had maybe taken other people's advice, it would have happened sooner. But like, I also think it was incredibly important for us to have those four years of kind of trial and error and figuring it out because it also grew our relationship. It's very difficult to run a business with somebody else. A lot of people cannot do that. I mean, you see how it rips families apart and friendships apart. So I think for us, it was important for us to go through that together and learn to really trust ourselves and make mistakes and like trust in ourselves and trust in each other. So I would say four years, but we're still figuring it out. We're still and we will continue to. And I think, you know, one of the things we talk to clients about, we talk on our podcast is that a lot of people live to say like, I don't want to regret anything or like, I don't want to fail mm -hmm. or I don't want to make mistakes. And we are very much okay with regretting things, right? And saying, okay, we made a mistake that it's, it's okay to regret things, to make mistakes, to fail. It's part of the process. If you don't allow for it to be part of the process, 
then you're very much going to stay stuck, right? Or there's, it's, you're reacting based on fear as opposed to saying, you know, it's okay if I make mistakes. It's okay if these, I can trust in myself, I can trust in my business partner and know that we're going to work through this no matter what. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important to share that, like, hey, for four years, we like didn't really know what we were and doing. Made, like, and no money. Everything was no money. Like, we made, like, not, like, very, very little money in four years. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think now people see you in 2021 and they're like, oh, my God, they have such a successful business. Yes. Like, their podcast is great. Their their branding is so cute. Like, they're, they must have figured this out early, early on. And it's like, no, like, you had to go through all of that. And people... I think now when they start something, they're comparing it to what you have today, which is 10 years later, mm -hmm. you know, and that's like, you can't compare your first year to someone's 10th year. Absolutely. It's just not going to happen. You put too much pressure on yourself. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, to bring it all full circle, right? Like that's why the comparison on social media becomes a bit of a challenge. And to, you know, we, we tend to look at businesses or people and we see where they are and say, oh, that should be where. I should be right that we're like very impatient I think in this generation we love instant gratification we do and we love right, it we love it and it just feeds us and we can get it so much there's so much more access to instant gratification now yeah and so you know when we're comparing ourselves to other people to where they are now as opposed to saying like well what was the journey we love hearing about people's stories obviously we're therapists it's like our favorite thing and <laughs> people's journeys and I think one of the like privileges about being a therapist is you hear all of the difficult things that people work through and you see that they're able to persevere through it. I would say one of the like most important things that I have learned from being a therapist is like how much human beings can deal with and process if they allow themselves to. Mm -hmm. That's so true. And I feel like also you guys are not only therapists, so you hear everyone's like, you know, experiences, but you also put yourself on the internet. So you open yourself up to so much. Like also like you probably need therapy from it too. I know I do. So That was the number one like, thing we were told to not do in our training was like, don't like tell anyone about yourself. If somebody asks your age, don't tell them. And I'm like sitting on the internet talking about shitting my pants. So like really we were like, we're just gonna totally do this different and see what happens. Yeah. And it seems to be working. It's scary, but it works. People want to connect with people. People do not come to us or clinicians for education. They come for our humanity. At the end of the day, mm -hmm. I think people just want to connect with other people. And it's, I mean, I think personally, like, it's hard to talk to someone if you're the one talking the whole time and, like, they're not sharing anything either because then you feel like, am I being annoying? Am I, what are they thinking? Or, like, you, or should I say this? Like, I don't know how, how they're going to react to mm -hmm. this. So, I feel like with connecting to a therapist, it is important because like if I'm not saying that in therapy, the therapist has to share their whole life, but I think you have to feel like you know them because you're not going to open up to a stranger. Like I, I know I don't like I open up to my friends and I open up to people I trust. So like if I don't know someone, I'm not going to spill everything. I'll yep. kind of give you like a surface level detail about right. it. Right. And that's that's one of the things with our podcast. Like we won't we won't talk about ourselves in therapy. Of course, that's not appropriate. But our podcast gives our clients the opportunity to they learn more to. about us if they want to. And, mm -hmm. you know, some clients don't. Some clients want more of that separation, which is totally fine. And so it, it really gives our clients the opportunity to say like, okay, I want to learn a little bit more. And our clients will bring that into therapy with us and say like, hey, I heard this on the podcast. And I'll be like, oh God. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's so funny. And so with putting yourself out there with, you know, being on social, being on having a podcast, how do you guys deal with criticism and how do you deal with like internet trolls or things like that? Cause I know that's something that for me, it's like, I've had to really work through is dealing with that negativity online and like realizing that, you know, they don't know me, they don't know who I am. And for me, it's like when people say like, oh, you're ugly or you're whatever. It's like, okay, whatever. Like that, that doesn't bother me. But when it's like attacking my character or attacking like who I am, I'm like, I'm very upset by it. So like, I need to find that like separation of, you know, I can't, I've tried to like tell myself, like, I don't want to be affected by like praise or by negativity, you know? Cause I think you can kind of get an ego. Like if people are telling you how great you are, then you're like, Oh my God, I'm like so awesome. And I look at all the followers that I have. And then when you have like a bad comment, it's like, Oh my God, like maybe I am like what that person is saying, or you get angry or defensive. And so for me, I've been trying to just like take comments just as comments. And then like, trying not to like, think that the positive comments reflect who I am or the negative comments reflect who I am. Like I know who I am aside from the comments just in general. So that's what I've been trying to work through. But for you guys, how do you deal with you know, criticism and trolls? The Gottman Institute, which is a huge research institute that does that does um, divorce predictors and talks about how to make like a really successful marriage. They talk about the research that indicates that there's a five to one ratio for every negative interaction. We need five positive ones. That's how powerful a negative interaction is, right? You can get a million comments, messages, emails, anything with positivity, and then that one thing will stay with you and literally Mm -hmm. can implant in our brain. So one of the things I think that's really big for us is to detach, is to say like, listen, like this is a thing we do, like this is not who we are, right? The podcast is a part of the networking we do. It's a part of the way we connect with people, same with the business. But at the end of the day, we know that we are good people who try our best, that have great friends, that have good families, that work incredibly hard in our relationship. Something that Brene Brown talks about in uh, The Gifts of Imperfection is that in her pocket, she keeps a list of the three people that no matter how badly she could ever fuck up would still love her. And that's one of the things that we remember, that I know no matter what anyone could come in and say that Jen's going to have my back, and then my husband's going to have my back, and then my daughter's going to love me, right? Like, for us, it is really about keeping a really tight knit and close circle of people that do love us and see us for way more than who we are on the internet or who we are as clinicians. And then also we cry. Yeah, we cry. I mean, <laughs> I think so we cry sometimes. Yes. But I think I think it's helpful to to have each other to go through this with each other. And, you know, some of the things that affect Emily more affect me less. Some of the things that affect me more affect Emily less. So like we actually talk each other off you know, yeah. a lot of the time we talk each other through it. And so I think that's a big part. I also think remembering that people's reactions to you are really more about them and what they're going through. I think, you know, something to liken it to is like when you're driving and someone has road rage and they like cut you off and give you the finger, right? Like that sucks. Like that feels really bad. But to remember, like, they could have had a really bad day, right? Like, maybe they're going to the hospital. They're going to the hospital. Maybe they, you know, they're very anxious. They're in a bad relationship. They have their own demons, right? That's what I always say to myself when I get cut off or someone gives. I mean, I must be a bad driver if this is happening to me a lot. (laughs) But (laughs) but, um, just in general, that they have their own struggles, right? And it's so much easier sometimes to target someone on the internet and say, negative things about them than for them to deal with their own pain. 
And so that's how it's coming out sometimes. So to remember that they might be fighting their own battle. This is the way that they are dealing with it. Maybe it's not a healthy way to deal with it, but this is the way that they're dealing with it. It helps you kind of detach from it or to not take it as personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I do think like for me personally, I'm like, I would never comment something never about someone on their page. Like, I don't like everyone that on the Internet, you know, there's plenty of people that I'm like, oh, like, I don't like your content or I don't, you know, think you're the best person, you know, and I think you're allowed to feel that way. Like, I'm I'm not even saying like, I want to be liked. It's just I would never go out of my way and like comment. Yeah. So. I try to put myself in that mindset of like, if someone's actually taking the time to do that, like they are probably really unhappy yes. because you just wouldn't do that. Like, I, no. I just like could never imagine doing that. Like right. to me, even if I don't like someone, like no one's even saying that you have to like everyone, uh-huh. but I just could never imagine like putting someone down like yeah. that. I mean, it's, it's wild. So we're a little different, right? Because I like to reply to the trolls and have conversations with them. Wait, some, of, some of your replies are so funny. See, like, I like, I'm like, oh, like, this is... You, like, I, diffuse it when you reply to them, though. Because I think it's so hilarious. Like, a lot of them I think is very, very funny. But so for us, there's two different things. When people come at us on social media, we feel some type of way and then don't give a shit. Now, when people, when it comes mm-hmm. for our business and it's like a Google review and they're coming after us that affects our clinicians and our, the people, our wonderful employees, the people that work here, it's really different because we feel incredibly protective of them and what we've created business-wise. So I would say that we have like two different approaches where like if it's online, it's like a delete, it's like an automatic delete block. I don't give a shit, like fuck off. Now, if it's business, it's like we try to interact and diffuse it in some way because like you are, it is still customer service. In my opinion, mm-hmm. like for our content online, this is a free thing we're providing for you. Um, I don't have to please you. I'm doing something for free right. out of my own time. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need to please every person. You're consuming my free content, then leave my page. Right, right. No, that's such a good point. And also, I wanted to kind of shift gears and now talk about more like advice or not advice, but, you know, just, I guess, advice. Sure. Like what people have asked and what questions that I feel like I've been seeing a lot lately. So obviously, like, the world is opening up a lot more now. Like everything's open. We were talking about that. Do you feel like now there's more social anxiety with like going out into the world again? Because I feel like everyone was so excited, you know, like finally, like the world is open, like we can do things. But I feel like I've been seeing a lot and someone actually asked this question, like dealing with social anxiety when things are now normal, but you don't feel that way. You know, it's still like, I don't know, you've been locked up in your house for a year and a half and now everything's back and it's, it's kind of scary sometimes. too. Absolutely. I think so much we talked about like when we were going into quarantine or lockdown or that we talked about the transition of that and how challenging that was. But I, I think because there was so much hype around like, oh, we're all getting out now. We can all do things. We can all connect that we forgot to validate the fact that like that's also a transition to go from from mm-hmm. being in your house for a year and a half, not really seeing people to connecting all the time or feeling the pressure of seeing people, you know, if you're someone who's more introverted, this was almost, you know, maybe like an oasis for you in certain ways, because you got, you know, there wasn't the pressure of going out. And so to, to make that transition back to where you are connecting with people again, that it's so natural to have some, some of that anxiety come up to resurface. Maybe it hasn't been there for a year and a half. Um, but to also also recognize it as another transition and transitions for us are challenging. Like it takes time for us to adjust to that. 
And so to give yourself the time and space to be able to say, this is, this is hard. It's okay for this to be hard. I don't have to jump back in and feel completely comfortable. How do I give myself the space that I need to see people at certain times? And when I need a break, I can give myself a break again. That it doesn't mean you have to throw yourself into the deep end. Um, it's, it's almost about listening to yourself and saying, okay, like what feels good for me? And then where can I peel back? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you ever recommend tips on like, okay, if you're feeling the certain way, like take deep breaths, do this, do that. Like I kind of like, like, you know, like a set of tips or is it really just more very intuitive? Like your gut feeling, doing what you feel is right? Or like, do you have, I guess, like action steps that you tell your clients? Well, I think the intuitiveness comes from trying out a bunch of different things, right? Like, so like a lot of Mm -hmm. us don't intuitively have that because we're panicked. One of the things we always say is like, do the opposite of your anxiety, right? So if your anxiety is like run, maybe you should not, Um, right? Like, so it's often not intuitive. It's something we have to reteach ourselves. These are skills that are learned. So if deep breathing works for you, that's great, but it doesn't work for everyone. So how do you find what works for you? The best way to do this is to test out different coping skills when you're not in the heightened level of emotion, right? You cannot test out a deep breathing exercise that you've never done before when you're in the middle of the panic attack, when the anxiety is already there. So it's about taking time the way you would maybe research starting a new gym or a new something else, right? Like you would maybe do it before you go and prepare yourself. We recommend that if you have a Saturday afternoon and this is something that's been difficult to say like, okay, like I'm going to spend an hour looking up different coping skills online and trying a few of those, right? For some people, deep breathing isn't going to work, but holding an ice cube is. Mm -hmm. It is not up to us to say what's right or wrong. You have to figure it out for yourself. But most people only try to do those things in the moment when it's heightened and then they're not going to work as well. I think too, something to do is like get curious about your anxiety, right? Like where is my social anxiety coming from? What's my fear? Like are people, am I worried that people are going to judge me? Am I worried that, you know, people are going to talk about, you know, like what's, what's the real fear? Sometimes we just feel the anxiety so strongly and we just kind of hold on to it and say like, this is just driving me and I just need to stop feeling this way. As opposed to allowing ourselves to get curious about where the anxiety is coming from. So to take some time to ask yourself questions about it, because there's, you know, you're having a fear response, right? And, and it's just the physical response is sometimes so intense that it, it takes us time to say, okay, well, what's this really about? Like, what am I really fearful of? What's going to, what's the worst case scenario here, right? And in the worst case scenario, right, if someone were to make fun of me or whatever, how would I get through that? How would I work through that? What would that be like for me? to know and trust the fact that like in the worst case scenario, you would actually be able to get through it. Mm -hmm. And I know that you said like people a lot of times do things when things are heightened and then that doesn't work because it's like you're too heightened. You know, it's like you should do things like preventatively. So for therapy, I feel like a lot of people also go to therapy when things are heightened and when things are really bad and like they're, you know, going through something really difficult would you recommend going to therapy then when things are good and when yeah. go before things the are crisis. fine? Go all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot tell you how often we get phone calls with this exact line. This is the last ditch effort, right? If you are coming in, there's research, especially when it comes to couples therapy, the couples come in seven years too late. And we get couples that walk in the door yeah. that are like have the divorce papers in their hands. I'm like, I, I can't help you anymore. Like clearly this shit's far gone. You should have come in when you first started fighting a decade ago. So I would yeah. say, I would say, get the support before it's an emergency. 
right? You know what I mean? Like it doesn't, it can be preventative. That's how mental health care can be the same way physical health care should be about that, right? Don't just end up at the ER, have a PCP or a doctor and a general practitioner that you talk to when you go get that annual, right? Like if you only mm-hmm. ever go when it's an emergency situation, then sometimes it's going to have less of a productive and successful outcome for you. Right. And, and establishing, mm-hmm. people always talk about like, you have to establish a relationship with your primary care doctor, right? Yeah. Don't people say that all the time? Yes. Which really is mm-hmm. interesting to me because like, I don't care. I'm like, I'll just go to anyone. Anyway, <laughs> but, um, but I think establishing a relationship with a therapist when you're not in crisis is really important because sometimes it's hard to find a good fit. Like we, ha- we so always, and if you call in and say, can I have, do you have any appointments today? Nobody does. No, no one's seeing you same day. Absolutely. It's not urgent care. And so, and we always recommend like, you can, you can interview therapists. Like you can take time. You can go to a therapy session and say that wasn't a good fit for me and keep looking. And sometimes that can take time and can be a little tedious, but we always recommend to make sure you find someone who's the right fit for you who you feel comfortable with. Sometimes that takes a little bit of time. It takes a few sessions. But if you go into a session or a few sessions and you're like, this really isn't working for me, it is completely okay and important for you to find someone else, for you to find someone that Mm -hmm. you really connect to. And we very much encourage that. Like if someone comes into our practice and they were to see one of us, right? And they were like, listen, we don't really connect to you. I'd be like, no problem. I will help you find someone else And that if a therapist is doing their own personal work, that they will want to help you and they will not take that personally. Yeah, I was always wondering, like, do therapists take that personally if you're like, if they're not doing their own work, right? Like there are some therapists for sure, right? There are, I mean, just like any profession, there's bad therapists. There's just like there's shitty dentists and bad, you know what I mean? Bad doctors, right? Like there's lots of bad therapists, you know, like just like there isn't anything. And even if there's good ones, like there's people you're just not going to connect with. Like there's people are going to just personality wise, Mm -hmm. you're going to connect with certain people over other people, just like you would with friends or romantic relationships. And so to make sure you can feel that connection, you have that connection and you feel comfortable with them is so essential. Yeah. And for someone who has never gone to therapy before and someone who's never tested it out and they're listening to this and they're like, okay, I, I want to go before, you know, things get bad or before, you know, kind of like you said, like, just to start going. What do you then talk about in the very first like session? If, you know, I feel like usually when you go to therapy, it's like, because I know when I first went, it was like one of those things where I was like feeling very stressed. I was anxious. I was, mm-hmm. you know, I was kind of already going through a little bit of a crisis. So I talked about that. But like, let's say you're going to be preventative what are like the things that you would say in like your first session like is it just getting to know each other so yeah getting to know each other also could be like goals for the future or things you have dealt with in the past hey there was a time in my life where I did go through a lot of anxiety it's not right now but looking back and learning about all of this I'm realizing that I don't have the skills that that happens again and a lot of times history repeats itself if you went through something in the past and maybe just somehow organically got over it or or you know the environment changed or something it also is a good chance it could happen again. So it's a great thing to give yourself the skills to get there. I would say relational stuff. Here are the relationships in my life. Here's what comes up in the relationships. Um, emotion identification of here's when I feel lonely. Here's when I feel sad. Here's when I feel embarrassed, right? Here are the triggers for those things and learning how to sit through them, lean into them and not let those things take over your life because we all experience those things. So many times people 
headset, call in and say like, I don't want to feel anxious anymore. Like, okay, like we can't do that because we're not magicians, but we can help you figure out how to best deal with that anxiety. We can never make everything perfect because it's still life that's happening all the time. And you are human. And you are human. (laughs) But it's about how do I work within those? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, nowadays, you know, there's so many telehealth options and like apps and all of that. Mm -hmm. Do you guys recommend those? Because I know some, I feel like sometimes therapists are like, "Mm," you know, I'm not like a fan of, I don't know, like those like online app therapy sites. So like, I'm curious to hear your thoughts of what you recommend. Right. So the, the issue of why so many clinicians don't like them is not necessarily because what they're providing is not good. It's usually because they're ripping off the therapist. So therapists are getting paid very, very little to um, provide those services. And that's why they have a lot of turnaround. So because it's just not like a livable wage. So really, it's not necessarily that those are problematic on their own, but we don't think they're the most ethical because we don't like how they treat clinicians. And if you think about... But telehealth is amazing. Yeah, telehealth is great. The the, the accessibility is incredible. But a clinician who maybe isn't getting paid for their service or and because of that, they're overworking themselves, you know, you, you might end up getting a burnt out clinician. And we always say like the most important thing is that we have to take care of ourselves before we're able to take care of anyone else. And so if mm-hmm. you think about just that system, if clinicians aren't being taken care of by their company, then they might be overworking themselves. They might be more overwhelmed and it might be harder for them to, we're obviously general, generalizing. We don't know this for sure, but it might be harder for them to provide that space for their clients because once again, you have to be able to take care of yourselves first before you can take care of anyone else. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I, I never knew the like ethics behind it, like if what they were getting paid, like I just know. So, and also I, I know other people that are in therapy or therapists and clinicians. And so it's like, I know that a lot of them don't love you know the popular like apps out there so yeah I'm like I don't want to like name anything but (laughs) and listen and that's what I mean like it's not the service that's bad it's amazing to have accessibility um it's just that you're gonna always see more turnaround right so if you're seeing a specific clinician there who knows how long they're gonna end up being there because they're not having a livable wage and so a larger part about that is not that it itself is a bad design. It just happens to be the way the cookies crumbled. But telehealth in general, I think virtual therapy is amazing. I don't think there's absolutely anything wrong with doing virtual therapy. I think it's a wonderful option and often is a much cheaper option. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And before we go, I wanted to see if you guys have any advice for your younger self. So advice that you would give like your 20 year old self. Don't focus so much on the future, like be more present with what is happening right now. Like I think now if I look back to my younger self, I was so focused on like what relationship I was going to be in and like what our business was going to look like and what my life was. And now that like that's moving along, I'm like, I really should have appreciated where I was in those moments. And so mm-hmm. I think to be more present with yourself when you're younger to say, listen, you will get there. You will work through whatever comes your way. I think it's so so often we focus on the future as a way of trying to prevent bad things from happening, right? When really those things are just out of our control. And so, but focusing on the future really takes you out of the present moment, keeps you from 
really saying, okay, how do I enjoy what's happening right in this moment? How do I enjoy the journey that I'm on in getting to these places? And so that would be my advice for my younger self is like staying more present and enjoying where I was at the time. Okay, mine is stop trying to prove yourself, just be yourself. Mm. I love that. Uh Yeah, I feel like I can relate to both of those. (laughs) Like I, I definitely want to be more present and definitely not I I think a lot of times I feel like I'm trying to, you know, prove that I'm successful or prove that Mm -hmm. I'm uh, like where like doing something right or, you know, whatever it is, especially with, you know, the Internet and like friends that are all doing different things and everyone looks so happy and successful all the time. It's like both of those things are so relevant. I would also tell my. 20 my 20 year old self that your 30s are way better yes and you will like, feel more i think you, you're, you're, you're gonna feel more confident in you're, yourself you're gonna be just more get settled. to your 30s you feel get way to your better th- get to your 30s yeah <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> well thank you guys so much for coming on my podcast where can they find both of you and also your podcast and your podcast instagram and your therapy group like link everything or share everything. You can find us, you can find our practice at thetherapygroup.com. If you would like to schedule a session with one of our therapists, um, we serve multiple states. So you can, you can send in a contact form and we'll let you know if we serve your state, if, if that makes it easier. Um, you can find our practice on Instagram at the therapy group. Group is spelled G-R-P. Our uh, podcast is Shrink Chicks. You can find us on anywhere you uh, access your podcasts. And our Instagram for that is Shrink Chicks. So you can find us on any of those things. <laughs> awesome. Thank you guys again. Thank so you much. for having us. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Real Real. I hope that you enjoyed. And don't forget to rate, review, follow, or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow me personally on Instagram at Natalie Barbu and the podcast at The Real Real Podcast. I'll see you next Monday. Hey, my name is Lovan Rumpf, and I've been working my ass off as a celebrity stylist by day and a podcast host by night. At the Low Life Podcast, it's all about keeping it real. We're talking fashion, beauty, to religion, sex, drugs, mental health. I mean, there's no topic off limits here, and vulnerability is mandatory. You can find my podcast, The Low Life, that's L-O, no W, everywhere and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. New episodes are out every Thursday. We'll see you then.